0: Hey y'all and welcome to Feasting on Truth. I'm Erin Warren and we are in the midst of a study called Stories from the Wilderness. We are following the Israelites journey from Egypt to the Promised Land and learning truths about who God is, even in our hard circumstances. Today we are in Exodus 14 and 15, but before we get to that, I wanna tell you about an amazing conference that I have the privilege to be part of the enjoy god's word women's online bible conference is a group of word loving women who have a desire to encourage you to help you grow in your knowledge of god and to equip you with tools to help you do so if you sign up before the official launch on october 1st there's also a special bonus pack that you get but here's what's so great about this conference first of all this conference was online before online was cool and um you have lifetime access to the videos. So even if you can't watch live on October 1st and 2nd, you can go back and catch up. You can go back and watch over and over again, all on your own time. Some of the sessions include building a Bible study habit, strengthening your prayer life, how to pour out when you're tapped out, which isn't that all of us right now, and a workshop on studying Greek and Hebrew words. See the link in the show description to get more information and to buy your ticket. As I've said, we are in Exodus 14 and 15, and this might be one of the most well-known miracles in all of scripture. But I absolutely love studying these verses in context and the picture of who God is through these two miracles that we study this week. Here is week two of Stories from the Wilderness.
1: Welcome to um, our, I guess our third week of meeting, third week of teaching, but our second week of homework. Um, we are in Exodus 14 and 15 today, and um, I want to just kind of recap where we've come. Um, we have dropped into the middle of Exodus, um, following the Israelites' journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Um, God, um, we saw Him give. Israelites the Passover not only as a way to escape the tenth and plague the one that would change Pharaoh's mind and allow them to leave leave but um, also what would become a festival and a feast to commemorate what God did in delivering His people out of uh, slavery in Egypt. Um, God gave them favor. Remember, we talked about how they left with gold and silver jewelry and clothing, how they made no provisions for themselves. And so they are leaving um, Egypt completely reliant on the provisions that God provides for them. And they left with very much livestock. Um, They, God did not lead them on the short route. He did not lead them Um, that way because of the Philistines. Instead, he led them by way of the wilderness. Um, But he is guiding them by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and his presence does not depart from them. And that is where we pick up the story. Now, we are going to enter into the familiar story. Uh, Many of these are familiar stories But many of us tend to read this. I am so guilty of this. And I am really pushing myself this time to remove that lens from my study where we study and we go, here go the Israelites again, complaining again. They literally just walked through the Red Sea and now they're crying and complaining and whining again. Um, I want us to remember, like, to see them, to see these people who have not had this experience with God before. And even though they are witnessing miracles, even though we witness miracles and we see God's character and we see the things happen that when something happens to change our circumstances, our natural inclination is not to go, okay, God, I pray. See, we're good. You you just give me that water whenever. So, um, So I want us to kind of um, have that lens. Now, I want to open tonight, not actually in Exodus, but in Isaiah. So I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 35. It's just 10 little verses. Um, And so, um, but just such a beautiful picture of what we're about to study. Behold, your God comes with a vengeance and will with with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf un, deaf unstopped. And they shall um, and then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For water breaks forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sh- sand shall become a pool. In the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. My friend Stacey Thacker says that the wilderness is the place where the redeemed learn to walk. And that is what we are going to begin seeing this week, that the redeemed are learning to walk through the wilderness, and learning to walk with their God. So with that, let's turn to Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hakiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh shall say of the people, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So we see God here specifically say, go to this place and face this way. He tells them to face toward the sea, and he does that for a very specific reason. And he says, he tells Moses what's about to happen. he says, I'm gonna get glory over Pharaoh. And he says this phrase, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We see this multiple times. This is um, one of those phrases we see throughout this passage a couple of times. And I know that that's confusing language because it sounds like God is this puppet master who is making people mean. And um, my friend Linda. (laughs) Always explained it to me this way, and I just I think it's such a great um, a great explanation of it. She said, when when God softened Pharaoh's heart, it was like he put a covering over it, like we do with bread. When we put bread in a um, bread box, we put it in a in a plastic bag. It keeps it soft. But when we expose what uh, the bread to the air, when we take the covering off it hardens. When we leave the bread to its own devices, it hardens. And so what God is not doing is saying, uh, Pharaoh, I'm going to make him really mean, and he's going to come chase you. What he's saying is, I'm going to leave Pharaoh to his own devices, and Pharaoh's going to wake up and, oh, shoot, what did I just do? Um, Which is exactly what happened. So verse five, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots in Egypt with officers all over over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people were going of israel were going out defiantly the egyptians pursued them all pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his armies overtook them and camped at the sea by paihakira in front of baal zephon so Pharaoh goes, oh no, what did we do? We just let our entire slave labor go, millions of people. So he takes 600 chosen chariots, all the other chariots with officers, all of Pharaoh's horsemen, all of his horses, and of the army. And I want us to note how the Israelites were going out. They were going out triumphantly or defiantly, depending on your translation. If you read it in the original Hebrew, it reads like this, the Israelites, who were marching out with fist raised in defiance. And we know from last week that they were going out in battle formation. These are people who are leaving with confidence and triumph and defiance. They had been slaves. They had been crying out for God to come save them. And now he has done it. And so they are going out with confidence. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, uh, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were molding, marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out, O Lord, and they said, Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us uh, away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die. So at the sound of the roar of Pharaoh's chariots coming after them, they lifted their eyes, they saw their enemy, and they were filled with great fear. This is why it's so important to remember God told them to look a certain direction. He said, face forward, face toward the sea." What do we know last week was before them? The very presence of God in the form of the cloud and in the form of a fire. And so he was saying, look at me, look at me, eyes on me, eyes on me. And at the sound of their circumstances changing, they took their eyes off God, put it on their circumstances, and they were filled with fear. Where we look matters. And I love Hebrews 2.1. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Our natural inclination is to look at our circumstances. Our natural inclination is to drift. And the Hebrew word for pay much closer attention means to physically turn your mind to I teach this in almost every Bible study I've ever done because it is so appropriate to every situation. We have to physically turn our minds toward God and keep our eyes locked on the character of the one who is leading us. Lisa Turker says it this way, we steer where we stare. We must keep our gaze on God. And so most responds to them, to their crying out. They go to the worst case scenario. Like we told you to leave us there. We're going to die out here. Like this is awful. What's going on? And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Okay. So moses knows that god is gonna deliver him because god just told him i'm gonna get glory over pharaoh and so he said guys guys be quiet be quiet god has this god has this and these verses are so famously quoted typically when it, there's somebody who is going through a great battle in their life and we go um the lord is going to fight for you you only need to be still so some of your your versions may say still instead of silent but the hebrew word um, really is to be silent. And so stillness in Hebrew is related to silence. But when we read that in English, we go, guys, guys, it's okay. God's got this. Y'all just sit tight. Just watch him work. Just walk it. Waymaker, maker. Here we go. He's, he's going to do it. There's no way out. He's going to make a way out of this horrible circumstance. Um, and this is why I'm so passionate about reading scripture in context. Um, because, God does not say, all right, guys, and roll up his sleeve and say, stay right there. I got this. Here's what God says in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and horsemen. So God says, why are you crying out to me? Why are you crying out to me? A better translation probably in English would uh, for, um, I'm not saying like in scripture, but just to kind of get a better understanding. Moses is saying, guys, be quiet. Listen. Listen to what God's about to say. Listen to what God's about to do. We need to listen to God because I know he has a plan to save us. And God says, why are you crying out to me? Go forward. Again, he says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Verse 19, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them So a quick note about the angel of the Lord, because we talked about it last week. We're like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I thought it was the actual presence of God, not an angel of God. Um, But there are a few places within scripture, this being one of them, where it references the angel of God, but then also references the presence of God himself. And so um, another one would be the burning bush. So there is actually um, this uh, idea That it is the form, because we know we can't see God and live. So God's actual presence cannot be before them or they will die because holiness, unholiness cannot stand in the presence of holiness and live. And so this is God veiling himself in a form that can be behold, beholded, beholden, beheld, beheld by human eyes. I was going to get there. Okay. Um, so, um, another one is with Hagar. So we see, um, where it is the angel of God comes to her, but then it is God himself. He is God who sees me. That's where that El Roy, that's the first time, place we see that, um, name of God. Um, so think of it kind of as the visible image of God's presence. Um, so think, okay. Thinking back to last week, We talked about how God is birthing a nation. He is creating a people for his own possession. And here's what's so cool, y'all. I don't know if you caught this, depending on which translations you were reading this week. Some make it really clear and some don't, but we see here a creation narrative. We see the presence go behind them, the cloud, and it separates light from dark. Um, If you read it, the message puts it this way, the cloud enshrouded one camp in darkness and flooded the other with light. And so we see the Egyptians covered by darkness and the Israelites covered by light so that they can go across the sea and see where they are going. We see this separation of, of um, dark and light. And then we see the strong east wind. This is the same word used for the spirit, that ruach um, in Genesis one, the spirit that is hovering over the chaos. So the spirit goes over um, the and the wind, causes the water to separate and same in the creation narrative the waters separate and between them rises up dry land and so we see these people of israel able to walk on dry land and as they are going forward god is saying is creating for himself a people um and this um so they they go through on dry land And this is where we see elements of the story suggest that this was not a shallow marsh of reeds, um, but rather a large body of water because it says that the water was like a wall to them on their right and to their left. And um, this was not some like little tiny part where, remember we're talking 2 million people and very much livestock. Um, Max Anders in his book, 30 Days to Understanding the Bible, says, when they lined up to cross the Red Sea, it was more than just a little aisle that was required. If they crossed the Red Sea a 100 abreast, counting animals, the column would have stretched back as far as 15 miles into the desert. So this is a massive, a massive miracle. It is a wide um, divide between the, the right and the, the water on the right and the left, and the people go, on dry land. And I love he, how he reiterates multiple times he says, dry ground, dry ground, dry ground. The Israelites are desert dwellers. They're, they have a fear of water. They believe that there were spirits that lived in the water. Um, and we see a lot of that in the New Testament um, on the Sea of Galilee. But um, God allowed them to walk through with no remnant of their fear weighing them down. The thing that they feared, they walked right through it and not a remnant of water would weigh them down. Think about if you were walking and trudging through wet soil, you wouldn't move quickly. And so God gives them a way to walk quickly through toward the, toward the wilderness and toward the other side. Verse 23. I know I got to speed this up. Okay. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea and all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptians into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. walked on dry ground through the sea, the water being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. I love um, God is faithful to keep his promises. And what he said would happen came to fruition. He said, they will know them, Lord. And he does that by looking at them from the pillar of cloud and from the pillar of fire. He looks at them and they know, and they say, we got to get out of here because this guy, we cannot defeat. And he fights on the side of the Israelites. And Moses at the command of the Lord stretches out his hand again and the water covers them. And he, God gets the glory. Over Pharaoh. And we even preach this passage or teach this passage or speak about this passage um, in one of two ways. So we kind of do the God's going to fight for you. He's going to make a way to help you get out of these hard circumstances. Just sit still. Like we love the song Waymaker. It's like my kids' favorite song. Um, uh, And, you know, we're like, God's going to make a way when there's no way. Like we're going to get out of this hard place. Um, Or, we say, uh, don't focus on your circumstances, focus on what God can do. Like God can do this, God can, can make the way. But I think there are flaws in both of these um, because we are not promised a hard way out of circumstances. We are promised that God will go through with y'all. They turned around to a Red Sea, which held their one of their greatest fears. And they had to literally walk through their greatest fear to escape their other great fear. And so this wasn't some super easy like, oh look, God just parted away and made the Red Sea Road and here we go, guys, we got out. Um, And I often find myself even more frustrated if I'm just thinking about what God can do because when he doesn't do what I want him to do that I know he is capable of doing, all it does is leave me disappointed. I go, God, I know you could have saved that person. God, I know you could have given me that job. God, I know you could have made this work. I know you could have given me favor with that person. I know that you could have taken care of this and you didn't, why? And so I don't think God here is saying, I'm gonna help you get out of your hard circumstances. And I don't think he's saying, focus on what I can do, not on your circumstances. I think he's saying, focus on me, period. Focus on me, period. He said, look forward, lock eyes on me, look at me. Um, his will is more, um, this is how Jen Wilkin puts it in his book, in his, her book, in his image, his will is more about who we are becoming than where we are going. He wants us to look at him. He wants us to remember his character, that he is our deliverer. He is our provider. He is our way maker. He is on an eternal timetable though. His ways are not our ways. And his goal is to draw us closer and make us more dependent on him. And when we are looking to him, we put ourselves in a position to see him in that way and to allow him to draw us toward him. We need to walk in obedience of what he says to do in his word. And we need to watch him take down the sin in our life because the enemy is not the people. The enemy is our sin and our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. We read that in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, where it's talking about the armor of God and putting on our armor our enemy is not the people making our life hard. Our enemy is the one who is waging war over our soul. And Jesus, he is our way maker because he's the one who came to part the divide between us and God. And he provided a way for us to walk with our father. Um, this week we, um, touched on the story of Peter walking on water in Matthew 14, through 33. And there were some parallels to this where Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he began, looked at the waves and he began to sink. Also notice though, that how in both these stories, elements of creation obey their creator. He is sovereign over all of it. And so we need to remember that our God is great. Do not shift your gaze from God. Listen to what he says and walk in obedience. And um, we close this seeing how they went from fearing Pharaoh to fearing God. And we move into Exodus 15. The, it's in your Bible. It's called the Song of Moses, but we don't know that Moses actually wrote it. Um, there's actually, I read a commentary this, um, thinking that that um, believes that it was Miriam and some of the women who were playing that wrote this song. And I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time, but y'all, what a picture of our God. I mean, goodness, every verse is filled with his character. And so if you um, didn't get a chance to this week, I encourage you to go back and, and pull out all the character and all the ways that we see God's power in this. And this is another memorial for them. This is a way for them to remember the miracle of the Red Sea. So we have the memorial of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread to remember the Exodus. Now we have the song that helps them remember their deliverance through the sea. Um, And I want us to, um, we're going to spend our last few moments talking about verses 22 through 27, this bitter water made sweet. Um, These People are a spiritual high. They just experience an amazing miracle. And when we are on that spiritual high, when we have just had an incredible experience with God, that is actually when we are most vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Verse twenty-two of verse of chapter fifteen. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water uh, of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. Mara means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Notice how they grumbled to Moses. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, or if your version may say a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God and do which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commands and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palms and they encamped there by the water. The People of Israel had just sung this song of God's mighty deliverance, praising him. Um, And three days later, they're complaining because they didn't have water. And I want us to think, okay, y'all, I can't go 20 minutes without water. And in Florida, we, you know, like it's hot in the summer and it's just, you're just thirsty all the time. So think we have 2 million people. We have very much livestock and herds. None of them have water for three days in the desert. They're desperate. They are desperate for refreshment. They are exhausted. They are weary. And they want water. And so they cry out to Moses. And um, God uh, uh, shows Moses. uh, So the water's bitter. Moses cries out to God, and he's like, "God, we got to fix this." And um, so he throws a log in, and it becomes sweet. Um, we are particularly vul- particularly vulnerable after the miracle because we tend to want to listen to our own circumstances again. We very quickly shift back into listening to our own instead of looking at the truth of what God is doing. God's purpose is to show him show them himself. Remember, this is where the redeemed are going to learn to walk and we need to learn to walk in total dependence on him. And so God brought them to a point of desperation and a point where only he could step in and provide for them what they needed. Matthew Henry said, God can make bitter to us that which we promise ourselves most and often does so in the wilderness of this world that our wants and disappointments in the creature may drive us to the creator in whose favor alone, true comfort is to be had. Their circumstances revealed the condition of their heart. And remember, God is after our hearts. He is building reliance and dependence on him. So this is one of those things about our faith that is just so counterintuitive in our world our sign of maturity is independence. My daughter always talks about this, but I'm this independent mom, I can do it by myself. And I'm having to teach her and I'm having to teach myself daily that maturity in Christ, maturity in God's economy is more dependent. The more dependent we become on him, the more mature we are in our walk with him. They are completely reliant on God's provision. Remember, we saw they made no provisions for themselves. They left without skins of water. And so they are completely reliant on God. And God alone had the power to turn what was bitter into something sweet. And God makes this promise to them. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all your statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. This feels like a very odd promise, but, and he reveals this, his name, Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. Um, So if you're keeping track in the back of your book, um, he reveals this name to them here. He alone is the one who is able to heal their hearts. And it comes with following his way. It comes with following his commands. It comes with following his, what he says to do. His way is not the steps we take, but the decisions that we make. It's diligently listening to him. It's closing our mouths and not complaining and sitting and listening and then doing what he says, what we just saw with the Red Sea. But here's the thing, y'all. We cannot do this in our own strength. That's why we need Jesus. We can't obey his commands. And as we're going to see, and as we see throughout all of scripture, no human being is able to obey the commands of God perfectly. And so we need Jesus. And this story points us to our savior, the bitterness in our own hearts, in our own circumstances, our thirst for comfort and satisfaction with what's here on earth. Only Jesus can enter in and through the shedding of his blood on the cross, make a way for us to do this. Only God's spirit in us can propel us toward that obedience. In our study this week, we looked at John 4, 1 through 14, the woman at the well And in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become a spring of water welling up in eternal life. And that's exactly where God led the Israelites. He led them to a place of refreshment, a place where there were streams in the desert like we saw in Isaiah 35 and water breaking forth in the wilderness, a place of refreshment at Elam, a place that had an abundance of what they needed. Springs of living water don't run dry. It had everything they needed. Um, There were 12 springs of water, which the 12 tribes of Israel and the 70 palms, there were 70 elders of of Israel. And Charles Spurgeon says this, Elam must have been prepared on purpose for Israel. 12 springs of water, that was the number of tribes, three score and 10 palms, that was the number of elders. I do not wonder that Moses noted these numbers. It must have seemed remarkable that long before they ever came there, there were wells, And there were palm trees all ready for their encampment. It was most significant that these things should have been prepared according to the number of the children of Israel. But everything else is arranged by the same rule. We see God had gone before them. And so in this story, we see him go behind them in to defy them from Egypt while they cross the Red Sea. And we see here how he goes before them and he provides a place of abundant refreshment for them. He was with them. He hems us in Psalm 139.5, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. He is before you and behind you and with you always. The God of the wilderness, the creator, showing sovereignty over his creation. He is Yahweh Jira, the God who provides, and Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. He is deliverer, waymaker, steadfast, kind, and faithful. But this is the one that got me the most this week. His loyal love. It's the Hebrew word said. It's often translated in English in your Bible as loving kindness, all one word. It's his covenant loyalty, to his people. Um, And we saw it twice this week, how immediately they went to the worst case scenario in at the first sign of trouble, they lash out against God and against Moses. But yet God continues to be faithful to them. They were unfaithful to him, yet he continued to faithfully keep his covenant with his people, not just meeting his need, their needs, but in abundance. Psalm 78 is a beautiful psalm. Um, I highly recommend maybe um, tomorrow morning um, reading through it. It's called Tell the Coming Generation. It's um, a lesson to us for us to remember who God is and how he responds so mercifully and kindly and lovingly toward us. And this is verses 35 through 38. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer, but they flattered them. Him with their mouths, they lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant, yet he being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up his wrath. He continued to meet them with loving kindness. Our God still does that today. We are wandering through a wilderness just I always listen to praise music right before um and worship music right before I teach just to help kind of get my mind centered and and focused and I was listening to this song song called all praise and this lyric just jumped out at me because I think this is where we find ourselves right now every step a mystery I'm walking with the author We do not know where we are going, but we are going with the one who is writing the story. He is with us, behind us, and before us. And, Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Oh, Lord. Thank you that you are the God who makes streams in the desert, who makes springs of living water well up. God, that you provide places of abundance and rest, that you go before us and you go behind us and even in our hardest circumstances, Lord, you do not leave us. God, we pray that we would have the strength and the courage to continue to lock eyes on you. Lord, that we would remember your unchanging character, that you are a light in the darkness. God, that you cannot be overcome no matter what is going on in our lives. God, may we trust you as our Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer, Sovereign Creator. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray.
0: Amen. In our group discussion last night, my friend Katie found this amazing thread that I had missed when we were talking about Mara. We saw in Mara Um, this bitter water it was undrinkable water and how God told Moses to put a piece of wood or to put this tree um, depending on your translation in it and it turned into sweet drinkable water and then he says that if you do what I say I will not put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians this is a direct reference to the plagues and she said she took us back to that first plague and she said Um, the very first plague was turning the Nile into blood. And it was the touch of Moses' staff in the water, in the Nile, the wood that turned this drinkable water into undrinkable water. Exodus 7, 24, it says, And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. God is promising the Israelites here that if they follow him, and listen to Him and do what He says, that He will not send any of these plagues He's on them. He's using the reverse of the first plague as His example. He shows them His ability to provide for them, to take what is undrinkable and make it drinkable, and, and showing them that He can be, and He is, all that they need. The wilderness is the place where the redeemed learn to walk. It's the place we learn to follow God. It's the place where he shows us his character and shows us that his character is true. We like the shortcuts, we like the fast routes, but God leads by way of wandering and he does that so he can show us himself. The result here was that the Israelites believed in him. The result was a deeper trust in the one who is able to provide the one who is able to bring springs in the wilderness and streams in the desert, the one who has the power over the seas, who shrouds our enemy in darkness and lights up the way before us. Psalm 121, 1 and 2 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our help. So let's Lock eyes on our God.